Chapter 7, Parag Zion of Daniel. Oh, Maine. We didn't start? Okay. So we'll start from there. Perfect. So, uh, this is interesting because uh, usually the story of of Daniel, as of now at least, it, you know, it follows a certain chronological order. But at this point, you know, we had been through Nebuchadnezzar, who then passed on the kingdom to his son, Elamirodach. We didn't really talk much about him. Then on to Belshazzar. Belshazzar went on to... Who came after Belshazzar? Then was Daryavesh, I think. Darius. That was the, and that's where the story with the lions then happened. So now we're going back in time. We're going back to Belshazzar. So we're taking a little break from the chronological order and uh, going to tell a story that happened uh, a few years prior. A rambansi, there's no such thing. As what? Uh, it's got to be... In order? No, I'm <laughs> okay. Just it impressive. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. <laughs> well, my sugar-free cookies. Oh, good for you. Can I have sugar cookies? Are you, you sharing it? Donuts? <laughs> Oh, this is not even. It's uh, Yeah. This is uh, in lieu of rabbi elephants. Of elephants. I don't know. We didn't. I don't know why we didn't get. Oh man, this is really sponsored by the uh, other chabura. Oh, so nice. Yeah, you would have thought we'd be in a fight with them, but apparently we're not. I don't know. They're kind to us. We might have to give them some coffee or something. They're the guys learning over there. We're really in competition with them. <laughs> No, but they, they share their donuts you. with us. <laughs> okay, so so Daniel now is going to tell over a dream um, that he had when he was uh, under the when the world was under the reign of Belshazzar, and this dream is mundane. This dream is one of the reasons why Daniel is is. Uh, is so so difficult and so hard to understand. This dream actually t- starts talking about Moshiach um, and all the Golos, all the exiles that the Jewish people have been in. A fascinating dream, um, and the commentators, you know, go crazy here trying to explain every detail of all the different aspects of the dream. And uh, okay, let's see it. Parag Zion, can I get you a? Let me get you a Navi. Let me get you one. I'm sorry. Parag Zion Oh, New Park. New Park. I'll skim it for you once the water. Yeah, we have enough. just starting. Yeah. Okay. We have enough. Got it right here. Yeah. All right. Bishnas Chado. Lebelshatar Melech Bavel. In the first year of Belshatar, the king of Bavel. So how far are we going back? We are going back um, year-wise, let's see. In time. In time um, let's see. Well, Shatzar, and then we went to... Is he after Nebuchadnezzar? After Nebuchadnezzar, he's after Evel Merodach. Well, Shatzar, you know, not that far. A year, I think a year or two only. Oh no, but it's the first year. It's his first year of, of reign. How long was Well, Shatzar king for? You just do some math. Um, Nebuchadnezzar... Uh, remember, this is, Well, Shatzar was the first king to celebrate the 70 years of uh, from from the ex- first exile, right? Yirmiyo Navi, the prophet Yirmiyo, he made a nevuah. He said that that um, from seventy years after the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash will be rebuilt. So Belshazzar thought mistakenly that the seventy years. This is very connected to the Purim story. He thought that those seventy years start from Nebuchadnezzar's 
uh, reign, when he when Nebuchadnezzar started being king, which was only which was nine or eight years prior to his destruction of the base Amigdash. So he was not like nine, eight or nine years off when he made that party, and then he died in his sleep uh, after he took out the vessels of the base Amigdash, or he was killed. We had different opinions, but so this is um, I don't know if that helped you at all. I uh, basically just. You asked me a question, I told you a lot of information, okay. and then I didn't answer your question. <laughs> but you're good. <laughs> uh, I made a note, it's going back. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, it might say over here on the bottom. Exactly how long. Well, it doesn't say. Okay, but, it, but it's going back in time. It's going back a little bit. Okay, so now we're, so, so Belshazzar is the king of Babel again. Oh, there we go. Somebody's going to do the work. Somebody took the other safe. No, I, I put that for you right there. Oh. El Shatzer was a friend of Scott's. <laughs> was he really? Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> say? No, 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 no. I, I, oh, I thought you were looking for the kings in the back. No, 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 no. no. Oh. For Daniel. Oh, I take that back. Ari Leib is not doing the extra leg work. Daniel is doing honor next week. Yeah. I take it off the record. I said that you were doing the extra legwork to find out how long Belshazzar was king when this happened, but incorrect statement. Okay, Paragzion Pasigalif. Yep. So we're going back in time now, before the story of Daniel and the lion's den. The first year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king of Bavel. He saw a vision, a dream. The Chesve Reshe Al Mishkevei, and this is the, this is the the uh, the visions he saw on his bed. Beidayen Chelmach Sav, and then he wrote them down. He wrote the dream down. Reish Milan Omar, he told the major details. So it sounds like he didn't record every little tiny detail. He, he only took the main parts of the story that he saw. Um, and this is the, this is his dream. Now it's interesting to note. That um, I think Scott, you asked us a few weeks ago, who wrote Sefer Daniel? Right. So we say we, say, we think that Ezra wrote it. I think Anche Knesset were responsible, at least for the first parts. And then in this chapter, it seems that Daniel wrote most of it, uh-huh. except for parts that it seems like there was like a, a little bit of editing done by the Anche Knesset But but Daniel himself recorded this dream, and he was actually the author of this of the following barak. Um, okay. Why is it? Why? Why are we doing it out of context? What you're saying? Why did they put it out of order? Yeah, that's a good question. You asked that question already. No, no, not why. Why did they put it out of order? You want to know why did they put this chapter here? We've just stated that it is. It's it's out of order. Yeah. Question: Why? Right. You know, we've we've already seen three different events where the group of uh, the being Daniel's Deborah advised Nebuchadnezzar. No, no, that's all. Right. And then we had the story of Balshazar, and now that's all over. Now right. we're going back to something that's previous to both. Well, well this is Belshazzar again. We're going back to Belshazzar. Yeah, we Belshazzar. moved on from Belshazzar to Daryavish, to Darius. That was the Daniel in the lion's den. And now we're going back to Belshazzar. No, but we, did, we, we had a story of Belshazzar also. Before, before right. Daryavish, yeah. Right. Is this the same Belshazzar? Yeah, same one. Yeah. Right. If you look at, you don't have the note, but it says... This happened before the events in chapter 5 and 6. 
Until here, the history of Daniel. Oh, you have the same thing. Until here, the history of Daniel was in perfect sequence. From here on, we're given Daniel's prophetic visions. Also, oh, so that's the answer. Now we're just talking about. From now on, it sounds like the sefer is just focused on talking about all of Daniel's nevuas. So we've moved on from a storyline. Now it's just these are his nevuas, and this is where it gets really mystical and really sometimes hard to understand. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, <clears throat> okay. So he wrote down the dreams and he's going to tell them over to us. Pasuk Vez. One Daniel the Omar. Daniel started and he said as follows. I saw a vision and it was at night. Night always is a reference to Golos. Exile, right? Time of darkness. A time of the inability to see. A time of challenge. The Aru Arbo Ruche Shamaya and the four winds of the heaven began to whip up. Magichin Liyamaraba, and they were stirring up the great sea. The four ends of the world we're going to see are representative of the four. There's going to be four beasts, one representing each of the exiles. When we're talking the great sea, are we talking the Mediterranean? I would assume so. I don't know okay, for sure. What are the great seas today? Mediterranean? Yeah, well, well, you call the great sea. There's seven seas. So, which is the great sea? Yeah. And then there's, there's all the gulfs and there's all the great oceans. You know? I think when the Torah says Yamagado, it means the. Mediterranean. Mediterranean, yeah. Which is sort of more of an inland sea, kind of like the Great Lakes, which are also known as the inland seas. Huh? They, they call it, they, they call it the, the Yamagado. The what? The Yamagado. Yes. So it's, an, it's 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 landlocked between North Africa and yes. Southern Europe. Well, most seas are landlocked. Maybe thousands of miles apart, not in this case. America and Africa. Uh, so also, yeah, but you see, but you see something important here. You see something important here that the um, the it, we're going to talk about how each exile comes from a totally different part of the world. The wind is whipping up the sea. It's four winds from the four corners of the world. Each uh, exile is almost. It's it's not like there were similar. Uh, Gulluses. There were similar leadership against us. They were from four totally different backgrounds, four totally different, uh, four totally, totally different in nature. You know, it was totally different challenges that faced the Jewish people. And it's just interesting to note. You know, there's a uh, in every three di- three dimensional object, right? You have the four four sides that the object has, and each side is is an, unable to. To uh, to see the side that's opposite it, right? They can't catch, they can't catch each other's eyes, so to speak, right? They're not able to see each other, and and uh, the idea of what Moshiach is eventually going to do, what the what the light that comes to the world, the Or Haganos, that's eventually going to be revealed to this world, is going to enable everything to kind of blend together, and the and the sides will be able to see. We'll see how everything mixes together. You know, in this world, there are so many challenges. There's Hester Panim. There's we don't see Hashem's involvement in our life. Each at each story that happens, each thing that happens in the world, we don't see how it all connects and how the world comes together to uh, express Hashem's uh, oneness. We don't see all that. There's all these kitsin, there's all these extremes, there's all these edges and sides which don't all match together. But one day when the Oragon is, which enables a person to see from one end of the world to the other, the Gemara teaches us, we'll be able to now recognize how the opposite ends, how everything actually does unify, how everything's really one.
an interesting thought I had, not really related to this at all. But uh, Hanukkah is a time that we celebrate that Or Haganas. The light that we light, the Hanukkah candles we light, is reminiscent of the Or Haganas. That Or Haganas, which enables, like the Gemara says, to see from one end of the world to the other. You could see how the how the extremes, how the sides, actually do mix together. It doesn't look like these individual occurrences, which are not connected to Hashem's greater plan. Right, so it's because of that that on on, on Hanukkah we spin the dreidel. What what happens when you spin a dreidel? <laughs> as, as it goes quickly past, it's almost as if you could see the uh, the sides together. It's not really true. You can't really see them together. But it's that taste that we get. It's so close to being able to see how all the sides flash by you so quickly that it's as if they're all meshed together. All they're all. Uh, combined so to see the Yichud so Hashem. In the interest of the dreidel, when you spin the dreidel from the top, oh. <laughs> you see all, all the sides, to, and the letters are Mashiach. Okay. So the, it's the, the letters on the dreidel are Goshna, yeah. which is the indication of the redemption of the world. Now by Purim, we spin from the bottom, the grogger. Yeah. Around the other way. Mm. So one of the things that I always used to do is take the dreidel and spin it upside down. Uh huh. The other, the other thing that's very interesting is that the aspect of Purim, that the lots of Purim drew he was rolling dice. So that, you know, you, you talk about opposite sides, and one side uh, can't see the other, but in dice, opposite sides total seven. Who died? Dice, 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 dice. Like, you know. So the, one, of the, one, one, one of the Mepharshim say that Haman, when he chose the lots, he was rolling dice. Oh. So he was looking for a combination of one, three, three, because he was the Agagi. Agag, Aleph, Gimel, Gimel. Uh, seven. So, uh. so that the opposite sides total seven. So when Aleph, Gimel, Gimel's on the top, the double will be on the bottom. Mm. That was one of the way, but, but see, the one side can't see the other, but yet the two are connected. Uh. Interesting. It's very interesting. Also interesting is uh, in the Shemona Isra you talk about the four corners of the world. Mm-hmm. And okay. Right, right. One of the, and the, when you come back to every... Right, right. Yeah, 100%. It's all going to come together. The, the, the other thing that's interesting here is the, in, in the four winds and the way they're describing it when you start talking about the four primordial elements, fire, air, and water. Yeah, that's connected as well, I think. Yeah, I don't know how, but that, that is connected. I think each gullus in embodied one of the elements, I believe. But, um, okay, so they, they all began stirring up the Great Sea. I think the rabbi mentioned last week in his, in his drasha that the sea in particular is a place which is reminiscent of Olam Hazev, a place where there's, you know, you're at mercy of the uh, of the waves, and the Gemara says that um, most sailors are Hasidim because they have no choice but to daven to Hashem. There's nothing to do, right? If you're in the uh, if you're in the navy, if you're in the coast guard, you know all about that, right? As the we have a raging sea, what can you do? There's just nothing to do. You just gotta daven, yeah, it's Hemel. There's nothing else to do because the waves are not in our control. And um, it was specifically the the winds were whipping up this the great sea. Uh, that's the that's reminiscent of Elam Haza. That this is the, they're going to affect this world in a major way. That's what Daniel was seeing in his vision. Pasuk Gimel, verse three. Va'arba chevon ravavon. There were four huge beasts. Solkon minyama. They arose from the sea. Shonyon. 
Shonyan Dom and Da, each one was different from the from the next. They came out together or one after another? Uh, good question. It sounds like one after the other because we're going to say the so. first one it's was like this. Well, they're, sw- they're different from one another. Right. Barry and I saying they come out together. The first is life. You know, right. Saying. It sounds he's like he's there's going to be a chronological. We know that they came, I mean, the Golos came one after the other, so it sounds like Daniel is definitely addressing one and the other, which is going to be in the same order that they uh, oppressed us, yeah. So, um, fine. So, they, the four beasts started coming out of the water. Kadmesa, Pasuk Dalit. Kadmesa Ka'arye, the first one appeared like a lion. Vigapin Dinisharle, it had wings of an eagle. Chose Haves, I was watching. Adimiritu Gapa, until its wings were plucked off. So now you have just the lion without the wings. Unatilas Menara, that lion was picked off the ground. And it was stood up like a human being. And it was given the heart of a, of a human being as well. So you can understand there's clearly a lot of symbolism here. Um, so this is reference to Bavel, to Babylon. This is the, the kingdom who was still ruling at that time. Oh yeah. yeah so I did the work for you. I, I, I shortened it. Nebuchadnezzar is gone, right? Yeah, well this is actually, a lot of this is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar. Which is interesting if you think about it. Because it happened already. Right. So it's not like such a, it's not as much of a nevuah as the coming right. galluses. How that, do we know that it happened already? Well, this is at the time of Belshazzar's reign. That's how the process started. In the first year of Belshazzar. Uh-huh. So Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So this part was of this this part of the nevuah was not was more retelling what had already happened. Right. I mean, it wasn't the end of Bavel yet. Bavel wasn't finished, but it was nearing the end. Belshazzar was. Was, the, was, I think, the last, right? Belshazzar was the last king of Bavel. Right. Then Daryavish was next, which was already Madai. So, one of your is still going to be supportive of you. Uh. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. You see, it passed on at least to the Anaklach. So, it seems the line is uh, representing Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, right. The line is Nebuchadnezzar. And the wings that he had, some of the, um, some of the commentators say those reference the, the swiftness and the speed with which Bavel conquered the world, with which they destroyed. Um, uh, and it also talks to their brazenness. Now the two wings which were plucked off, those are the two kings who follow Nebuchadnezzar. The body of the beast, it sounds like, re- represents Nebuchadnezzar. The two wings were Abel Mirodech and Belshazzar. And uh, they fell at the end without a fight. Bavel didn't really go, Bavel kind of just like crumbled. Remember Daniel's first dream? that the rock was thrown at the legs and because of the weakness, because of the toes were made out of pottery, so the whole beast came crumbling down. um, I don't know if that was related, actually, but okay. But but Bavel went down without a fight. Yeah. Some say this is reminiscent re- of the fact that remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar at the end. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his reign? He he thought he was an animal, right? He went outside and he bathed in the dew and he grew his hair long and he had talons. So he was given leva- he was plucked off the ground like an animal, meaning he was on animal on all fours. That's Nebuchadnezzar, and then he was stood up like a human being again, reference to Nebuchadnezzar, and he was given the heart of a human being again. Exactly, that's what it took, right? You had to acknowledge Hashem. But uh, fine, that's a, so that was that's a reference to Bavel and Nebuchadnezzar and all the other kings. Pasuk, next one. Who's the next Golos after after Bavel? Pasuk Hey, and then behold, I saw Daniel says I saw another beast. 
A second one. It looked like a bear. The bear is rep- is a is a represents Paras, Persia, Persia, Paras Umadai. So uh, it's interesting to note in Aramaic actually the word uh, the word Davya is a, is a wolf. So it sounds like there's more than one aspect here. It's not just the bear; it's also a wolf, which is fascinating because who, which of the Shvatim were compared to a wolf? Binyamin. And who was responsible for taking down Persia, for taking down Parasubadachashverosh and the Parm story? Was Marachai and Esther from Sheva Binyamin? So you see the wolf of who's re, who's represented here by Parasubadai. Some of the Mefarshim say the wolf met its uh, met its foe, and another wolf, and the wolf of Binyamin and the wolf of Mordechai who was able to bring it down. So the it says here it was similar to a bear. Right, that's true. But over here it says if you read the small print, the fine print, it says dove is similar to the word wolf right there. So it's definitely a bear is for sure the, the simpler explanation. Zave. Right. So um so exactly. Exactly. So it was the Persia Paras and Madai were similar to a bear in the sense that the bear doesn't have the speed of a lion, it doesn't have the brazenness of a lion, it doesn't have all the power. It's just like this, you know, heavy creature, lazy, heavy creature who has capacity to kill but doesn't really doesn't really do much. Doesn't do it unless it unless it's I don't know, unless it's inside, unless somebody gets it going. Right? So listen to this. Vilishtarchad Hakimas, it was placed on one side. That's a reference to meaning, listen to this. So Nebuchadnezzar was Bavel, right? Bavel ruled the world. The bear, Persia, it was split into two. There was Paras, Persia, Umadai, and Media. That that Gullus had two aspects to it. So the while while Bavel assumed the leadership of the entire that the area reserved for the Gullus, Bavel filled it up. Paras needed to be moved to the side, meaning it only took up half of that space. And then Madai filled the other half. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's what it means. Vilashtar Chad Hakimas. It was moved to a side, meaning to say it didn't uh, fill the whole Golos. It wasn't the entire exile. It was only half of the exile. Madai took the other half of that exile. So it was like a tag team. Parasumadai. They were, it sounds like they were like uh, on a, on an ethical level. They shared similar values or lack of values. So that's why we, we uh, kind of lumped them together. What? So they're saying over here in the footnote the, mor- the, mor- uh, the immorality was so great. What was it? Uh, of Parasumadai. Yeah. They were, they were corpulent. Corpulent. Corpulent and ravenous. It's a great word. Corpulent means heavy, I believe. Sluggish, fat. Thick, fat, and corpulent. That's one of the ways that uh, Claudius Rose described when we start having success. It says by Yeshua. It's a good way to, if you want to like call, make fun of somebody, but you don't want them to know what you're saying. Corpulent. Look a little corpulent today. Look <laughs> <laughs> up. Exactly. <clears throat> okay. So <clears throat> we're not done yet. So that's the bear. <coughs> Excuse me. Page seventy-four. Turn the page. Uslas alin befume ben shine. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. This is unbelievable. Like the detail of the dream, and this is not even everything. Daniel's writing down the main parts of the story, but each aspect of the beast is rep- is representing a different aspect of the gallus. So, uh, this already is nevuah. This part already hadn't happened yet. So Daniel's already. I mean, he might not. I don't know if he knew what the what the explanation was, but the details of this beast already 
when he was writing it down had not yet happened in history. This is Parat, this is Persia, which was going to happen very soon. They're about to take over the world. Ribs in the mouth. Ribs in the mouth? Just I think like just in between his teeth. I don't know if they were connected. Between his teeth. Yeah. Between his teeth, he had. Remnants of the three Persian kings. So that's what the footnote says. Yeah, three Persian kings, meaning Daryavesh, Ahasuerosh, and Korish. Korish, yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Listen to this though. So three ribs is about between its teeth. The chain Amrin lay, and this is what they told it: Kumi achuli besar sagi, go and eat meat, devour flesh. Meaning again, that that's like I guess it sounds like Daniel heard a voice saying, "Arise and devour flesh." Remember the the, the bear had to be. It's not a carnivorous creature. Right? It is, but it's not only right. Openly carnivorous. Right. Commanded to go. It had to be encouraged. The bear is corpulent. It was lazy, and it needed to be commanded to go. Must have been the winter time. Yeah, it could be. You know that um, Bavel, like we were saying, Bavel did not fall. Bavel did not fall um, in war. Maybe there was like a small war that ended up overthrowing Bavel, but it wasn't like the whole empire of Bavel went out to war and they they kind of just like fell apart. They kind of just like died out. And as ba- as Paras took over, they had a very um, how do you say it? They had a very like almost lackadaisical approach to conquering the world. While Bavel acted with swiftness, with brutality, you know, conquering and killing, uh, Paras kind of just like, you know, they, they weren't as physical and as uh, devastating. But one city, there was one one area that Bavel, that Paras attacked and destroyed and brought down the city and killed people in it. And that was the city of Bavel. That was the area of Bavel. Because Hashem said, arise. This is, this is how this explanation says, Arise, devour much flesh. Hashem commanded the dove, Hashem commanded the bear to conquer Bavel so there would be a clear transmission of the, the, the Golos. It would pass on from Bavel to Paras. And he commanded them to, it was like out of their nature to be so brutal, to be so cruel, but they acted with cruelty to Bavel because that was what Hashem had commanded them, that they should destroy Bavel and, and thereby, reass- uh, thereby assume the leadership of the world. So where is the seat of this? The seat? Yeah, what, what, what is the center of location? When we start talking of his dream, you're talking about in the dream. It's in heaven. It's it sounds. We'll see soon that they each were designated a crone, a crown. Paras is conquering Bavel. So Persia is conquering after Bavel. Yeah. Persia is Iran. Yeah. Bavel is it Well, they conquered them. So I mean, it could be it's more or less the same area. It's all in the Mesopotamia, isn't it? It's all. It's actually split. Mesopotamia is where that's like Turkey. That's where wasn't that where Bubba was? Constantinople. I'm, I'm trying to keep the geography yeah. in my head too. But it's not it's not a problem that they overlap because they conquered Bavel when they took over. The, the whole region is just it's Yeah, still to this day. Yeah. Questions: Who's what? Where? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they're gonna have it. I'm not sure if they have a map here. That was in the old ones. Sounds like Ralph's reading that Yeah. I don't think we have anything. Okay. Is this? Okay, fine. <coughs> 
So, um, so that's the so the ribs, and there were three ribs sticking out of its mouth. That's what we're saying. Those are those are the three kings. That's what Scott was telling us. No, the book was telling me. Well, the book was telling Scott, and Scott was telling us. Us. Um, fine. Oh, and there are those who say actually that the whole beast is a reference to Achashverosh, and Achashverosh, the whole this whole beast, the whole bear, is a reference to Achashverosh, and yet he was commanded to arise, devour much flesh. Who do you think they'll be talking about? Who commanded the bear Achashverosh to arise and devour flesh? Haman. That would be a reference to Haman. So Scott, it kind of depends on how you explain. Uh, who the what what part of Persia what part of their history this Nebuah is uh, discussing that's who's commanding so here it would be Haman right Haman commanded Achashverosh to devour the Eden, to devour the Jews <coughs> okay <coughs> who's next who's after Parasu Madai then came who's the next Golas Greece Greek right Yavon Pasuk Vav which the exile were still in well no we're in we're in Rome, or we're in the fourth one. Yeah. We're in Rome, or, or the Arabs, or yeah, we're in the fourth one. This is the last. We're in the last one. Basar, yeah. Basar did know. After that, Jose Haves, I saw the Aru Acharik and Omer, and another beast came up, and it appeared like a leopard. The La Gapin Arba. And there was four wings on its back. The Arab Russian Yasa, the beast had four heads. So there's a four-headed leopard with four wings. Not to be messed with. Yeah. The Shultan Yahavle and it was given dominion. So this is interesting as well. Um, the leopard is known for its Azos, it's right, it's it's uh, brazenness. Heve Oz. Kanomer, be be bold like a leopard, right? So the that um, Yavon, that was what? Yeah, Yavon was was known for their brazenness and the swiftness, also with which Alexander the Great conquered the world. That's the reference of the wings, and they moved quickly. He was a very young man when he assumed leadership. Do you know how long Alexander the Great was king of the world for? Was king for really for twelve years, and he died at age thirty-two. So that means he became the leader at age 20, and in 12 years he managed to accomplish everything, and he, he conquered the world. And when he died, his kingdom was split up amongst the top four Greek uh, officials, and you know different areas. It says down here <coughs> exactly who got what, if you want to know. Um, I can't pronounce half of these names, but Ptolemy took Egypt, Assyria, and Babylonia, Antigonus, Persia and Asia, Asia Minor, and Philip, who was Alexander's brother, got Macedonia. So, Alexander, while he had the entire world, he had conquered the entire world, when it was given over to his, uh, those who took over for him, they, they, didn't, they never shared the same success. They never unified to form this one great uh, empire that was like conquering the world, and it didn't, it didn't flourish the same way as it did under, under his leadership. So that was the four wings of the leopard. 
<coughs> okay, now here it gets a little confusing. There is one commentator. I believe it's the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra is the one odd man out. He goes up against everybody else, which I think is somewhat characteristic of the Ibn Ezra. But he is the one odd man, odd commentary out. He understands that the fourth exile, which we haven't started discussing yet, is actually the Arabs. Uniquely, specifically, Yishmael, the Arabs. That being said, he has to account for a tremendous empire that was between Greece and the Arabs, Rome. So he says Rome and Greek kind of like, they shared ideology, they were close enough together that we could lump them together. So it's interesting. Yeah. You see at the end of, at the end of Asaph's, he saw, he saw that the uh, Canaanite women were repulsive in his parents' eyes. And, and he, he married. Took, he took the daughter. Yeah, exactly. So is, is this the melding of... Well, that's no. That would be that would be like more the popular opinion amongst the commentators that Rome and Ishmael are one and the same. But they've been Ezra saying that Rome and Greek were one and the same. Yeah, but but that the everyone else, all the other Mefarshim say that Rome was the fourth empire and Ishmael Ishmael is like a an offshoot of Rome. That would fit with what you're saying. Rabbi Achenstein was here several years ago. He was talking about the fifth Gauls. I don't know if you were here. Yeah, Ishmael. So the, the, when they say the fifth Gullus, what they mean is that it's the fourth Gullus with like a, an offshoot. So Rabbi Moshe Weinberger said when, uh, I don't know who it was, uh, Secretary of State was went to the meet with, I think it was where Kerry went and met with uh, uh, Iran. So he, read that, he, said, he said it before Hesiod, that that was the marriage between... Of uh, Esav and Ishmael. Okay, but we're gonna we're gonna stick to the popular approach that that. Wait, um, the question is, how much does this Nebula apply today? Oh, we'll see. I mean, we're not up to we're still not up to today yet. Yeah. We have got to get to the last beast, but it's gonna be very re- re- relevant. Okay, um, so let's we're gonna go. We're not gonna go with Ebenezer's approach. We're gonna maintain the fact that uh, Greece was on its own. They did their thing. They had their conquer of the world through through Alexander the Great. And now we are up to the last of the beasts. Pasuk Zion. After that. I had another dream. So it sounds like, the version point this out. Yeah, he woke up after the first three. And then he went to sleep the next night, and that's when he saw the fourth beast. I knew it was the next night. That's what they say. That's what the Varsham say. If you look at seven, the vision of the first three beasts he saw in one night, but this last beast he saw the next night in a separate vision. Rashi says this from the Medrash. This was reminiscent to the fact four, the three the first night, three the first night, and one the next night. This was to tell him that the last beast was going to be equivalent or worse than the first three. Right. This is like the dream that Yaakov Avinu had. Remember with the with the ladder, and he saw the malachim going up, and the Medrash says each malach represented another. Another uh, Golos. And the first one went up, the first one was Golos Bavel, and went up 70 rungs, and then it came back down. And then the next one was Parasumadai, and it went up however long it lasted, and then it came down. And then Yavan went up however lost it lasted, and it came down. It was equivalent to all three. Exactly. And that was Rome, and then Rome went up the last one, and it didn't come down. And Yaakovinu said, Is this it? Is this our downfall? Is this going to be the end of Kalisral? And Rabbi Shalom said, no, there will, there will be an end, but it won't be revealed to you. So it's the same thing here. The fourth Golos is this mysterious, it's, we don't know when it's going to end. We're still waiting for it to end. But it's this fourth beast, which is equivalent to the first three. When it's over. When it's over, exactly. 
We hope that it comes, uh, we hope it, it ends quickly. Listen to this, though. Listen to how terrifying. Fine, so the next night. I saw the fourth beast. Listen to the, just the description. It was terrifying. It was uh, awe-inspiring and it was powerful. Yatira Vishinon. It, um... The Sakifa Yatira Vishinon di Parzalai. It had these huge iron teeth in it. Ravron, which were which were huge, which were multi, you know, had a lot of them. Achla Umatka. It was devouring. It was eating and it was crumbling, destroying. Ushara Baragla Rasa. And it was trampling with its feet that which remained. It was different than all the other beasts in the sense that it was unidentifiable. The first ten, was the first three, I'm sorry, was a lion with eagle's wings. The next one was a bear. The third one was a leopard with wings as well. Everything was some, something we were familiar with. The fourth beast was just, it was just, we didn't know what it was. He, Daniel couldn't identify it. It was just this totally terrifying beast that, uh, that he just couldn't, he couldn't even describe what it was. The Karnion Aser it had ten horns as well. Ten, ten horns. <laughs> so that's this is going to be Rome, and then uh, Yishmael. Hopefully, we'll see if Yishmael also. Which one? Well, no, Gogumog is coming. Gogumog is coming. We're not there yet. You'll see. Because these ten horns refers to ten kings. Yeah, of Rome. Of Rome. Not, not. Yeah. Over here on the bottom of the yeah. seventy-six. According to Sazegon, the mm-hmm. Roman Empire is composed of ten governments or monarchies. Firstly, Roman Emperor in Constantinople, second, King of Armenia, then King of Hungary, then King of Germany, then King of Bulgaria, then King of Canaan, Western Slavic countries, Bohemia, Moravia, Slovakia, and so forth, and seventh, one, King of France, then King of Spain, King of Russia, and King of Shmuel. Right. This is a big. Oh yeah. Enemy. Oh yeah. I mean, it's at it, it, uh, different times, right? It spans different eras, but that's it's not all at one time. Right. So the, the, while the first explanation, if you look in the in the chart over there, that's saying they're all ten were Roman emperors. The Rosidigons is much more of a of a broad. Right. The horns represent a much broader Roman Empire. Exactly. But okay, but let's let's just see if we can break down some of these things. So first of all, the, the descriptions were Dechila, it was terrifying, the Aimsoni, and it was uh, awe-inspiring, the Sakifa, and it was strong. So the Mafarshim say that. Um, so first of all, the fact that it was unidentifiable. Sounds that's very like what you're saying is that it had so many different forms. The Roman Empire. It went into so many different kingdoms, went so many different areas. It just trans. It it, tra- it became a religious uh, exile at, at, at when Christianity got became very involved. That was, you know there was a, there was different faces that this exile. Uh, hat. Interesting enough, I don't know if you've ever walked into the mechanical equipment, you know, the, the iron teeth and the jaws, way it crumbles. So if you watch the way they do highway work, you watch the way they destroy buildings, the cranes that they have. Yes. Iron teeth. Iron teeth. Basically, a giant claw. Uh huh. And they they, they they pick they pick up concrete. Uh huh. Just crush it. Yeah. I mean, That's a good way to get a picture exa- of what this looks like. Exactly what. Yeah. I mean, if if you watched when they were doing the freeway here. Uh huh. Might take me too much time. No, you're good. 
You've seen that. You've seen those, haven't you? Yeah, I'm sure. So let's just let's just get some some of these um, descriptors. The Chilas, they were brutal. The Roman Empire was was um, was merciless, right? They, the way they conquered people, and they're in sunny, they're awe inspiring. They were awe inspiring in the sense that they were everything was with a strategy and organized and clear um, how they would approach everything, and they had their their takifa, their strength. Um, it's also, it's also uh, an unbelievable way to describe Hitler yeah, yeah, exactly. Hitler, Hitler, and the Germans. Their 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 organiz their organization and their exactly organization and the equipment, the way they everything was the yeah implemented exactly exactly and the teeth which destroyed. That's again. That's like yeah. That was Rome. That was their destruction. Um, so I actually wanted to suggest here something um, which I've heard that uh, Rome in particular especially in America of today which is assuming that that's a continuation of somehow a continuation of the Roman Empire the way they get us what's our what's the biggest problem of Jews today in America assimilation assimilation, assimilation right they don't get us anymore by trying to kill us right they get us by their smile it's the teeth the showing of the teeth it's when they smile at us it's when they're kind to us it's when they're friendly to us whether it's real or not but that's actually what our downfall is now the teeth almost have assumed the different nature of in today's day and age the roman empire used to be the teeth of destruction the teeth of that claw scott which are uprooting the uh the you know the jewish people destroying us but now the teeth are actually the teeth of a friendly neighbor the teeth the teeth of the of the of the guy who are so kind to us who are so nice to us, and that's really become uh, openly, open, not, not okay, really. could be openly, but enough, that's enough to get us to get our children, unfortunately, right. call to the Jewish people to be to assimilate and uh, become uh, enmeshed with uh, with the, the non-Jewish society. So the teeth have almost taken on a new nature of today. And, and where do they get iron teeth? Iron teeth, yeah. <laughs> well, this is not a real. It's not. It's a. It's in a dream, right? It's a. It's a unidentifiable beast. A lot of the, the fake teeth today are porcelain covered iron. Okay. There you go. Material. Iron teeth. So uh, okay. So it had ten horns. We said, and that was the. Um, that was the ten. Fine, the ten malchus. Okay, pasuk ches, mistakel haves bekarnaya. Daniel says, I was I was paying close attention to the horns. I was thinking about them. Va'alu karanachari, and then I noticed another horn growing in. Ze'ere, it was small. Silkos benayan, and it was growing amongst the other ones. Uslas min karnaya kadmesa is akra min kadama. And as it grew, it uprooted three of the earlier ten. So three get knocked out, so it grew down to seven. And then this little horn comes in, and it's now the eighth of, ten, of, of the horns. The alu enayin, ke'ene anosha, and it had eyes on it, like the eyes of a person. On the horn? Bikarnado, on that horn. Ufum malil ravavin, and had a mouth as well, which was spewing blasphemy. It was, it was talking. So the Mepharshim say this is a reference to... Titus, Titus, the last, this is after the ten emperors of Rome. Titus was the one responsible for the destruction of the base of Mikdash. And the Gemara tells us that he in particular was a Mecharif, a Megadif. He was blasphemous. He walked into the base of Mikdash and he, he challenged Hashem, right? He, he offered to, he, he, you know, he, he challenged Hashem to a, to a duel, so to speak. He stabbed the Parochas and blood came out. He thought he killed Hashem. Titus, you know, took a personal battle up against Hashem so that some say that's what this 
horn is representative of, and others say this is actually the transference, the transfer of the of the uh, exile of the Golos from Rome to Yishmael. This little horn represents Yishmael. This is now how the Arabs, you know, sneak into the fourth exile. They're they're hinted to in this last uh, in this last horn. What exactly means that it, it uprooted the first three of the of the uh, of the horns is not so clear. You know, a bunch of the commentators have their guesses of uh, exactly what it means. Some say this is like a the the horn growing is a reference to the. Um, the, how, how the Roman Empire now be, assumed this religious status. Now it became it became more of a Christian uh, exile by nature. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. That now there was a there was a and there were apparently there are three different branches of the Christian uh, religion. I'm not I'm not so familiar, but that would be a reference. That, that's how that's how would uh, uh, that's how it would be be explained. He'll tell you what the three are. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, um, and the eyes of the horn are, are the ability to to uh, to make deductions and to be intelligent and to use wisdom. You know, they came with a whole different approach, and they had the mouth of persuasion and per- persuasiveness. And this is a it's a whole different beast, something that we had, literally a whole different beast, something that we had never experienced. All of a sudden, there's this uh, very intelligent, very difficult force that the Jewish people are faced with that is that's convincing, that's convincing, and it and it uh, it really took away. A lot of uh, a lot of our our, uh, our people, unfortunately. But here we go. This is the end. So that's the fourth beast. I was watching. There were thrones set up for each of these beasts. Each one had a time that it had a throne. The Atik Yaimin Yisave and the one of ancient days sat. That's a reference to Hashem. Simply, some say Mashiach. I think. I think it's Hashem. Yeah, Hashem himself. Some say it means Michal, the Malach Michal, the angel Michal. Levushe Kislag Chivar. He was wearing garments that were white like snow. And his head, the hair on his head like wool, like clean wool. Karse Shavivin Dinor. His throne was of fiery flames. This is so unusual. We never find such description, especially if it's a reference to Hashem. Yeah. We don't usually find such descriptions of Hashem. This is like almost hold on, hold on, giving... When, when Eliyahu left, in his, left in the chariot of fire. Yeah, but that's what brought him up. This is talking about whoever was who was taking down these kings. This is the actual being that was destroying them. Karse Shavivin Dinor. His throne was of fiery flames. Galgiloe Nur Dalek and the wheels also were 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 a fire. Pasakud Nahar Dinor Nogid Vinothik and Kanamay and a stream of fire was coming out. Elif Alfin Yisham Shune, yet thousands upon thousands. A thousand thousands were serving him. Riboy Rivov and Kanamayu and ten thousands of ten thousands in front of him. Dikaranomalai who were all there in front of him at attention. I'm sorry, I skipped. He was sitting down to judgment, and he had his svarim, he had his books open in front of him. This is the, the end of time. This is a reference to the Yom Hadin, the end of the, the judgment day, which Hashem has his books open, and he's going to decide who's going to live and who's going to die. And, 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 uh, Oh, let's just get this one in. Chaze Haves, I watch Beidayin. Then Min Kol Malia Rav Ravasa from that voice of the 
of the of the small horn, the Karnamamale, which that little horn was, was spewing its blasphemy. I watched I watched until that beast was slain, was killed, the Huvad Gishma, and its body was destroyed, the Kedas Esha, and it was burnt up. It was, the body was destroyed, that's a reference to Elam Hazet, it was destroyed in this world, and it was burnt up in fire, there will be no Elam Haba for those beasts. But Yud Beis, I, I can't stop. It's so interesting. Ushar Chevas are the rest of the beasts. So the last one was killed, was totally destroyed. But the other ones, Ushar Chevas, the first three, Hehedim Shaltanayin, their power was removed. Vaarcha Bechayin Yahavis line, but they were given longer life. Adzman Vidam until a specific time. As if to say almost, I think the Mepharshim say this, that Hashem was keeping them alive so that they could all witness the same ultimate uh, revelation of Moshiach, who's going to at one point uproot all of the Goliaths. Why was the fourth one killed? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. But we're not done yet. Yeah, then now is Moshiach's about to come. We're going to have to wait till next week, though. <laughs> Okay. Nine forty-five. Okay.